This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth and Flea are at cross purposes. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the seventh episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 7. On the Backbeat. Moth scowled. The building made no sense. What floor was she on, the 14th? The outer wall wasn't there. On this floor, this corridor was open to the night air. That kind of thing was not unheard of, of course. There were architects who would try just about anything to get noticed. A giant donut in China. A library shaped like a row of enormous books somewhere in Kansas. A housing complex made up of concrete cubes haphazardly thrown together in Montreal. Clearly, this absence of an expected wall to mark the frontier between inside and outside was part of the design of the place. The pillars that held the ceiling up were decorated, and there were flower beds every three meters or so, with lush ferns spilling out over the brick ledge. But the apartment to her left? It was in the corridor, on a little dais. There was a bald man in his pajamas, right there sitting primly on his couch, watching TV. The man ignored Moth. Out of politeness, because of the containment blur, or because he was stuffed, she could not say. Moth strained to hear what language the TV program was in. No, nothing. She was hearing only gibberish. The man blinked. Not stuffed, then. She smiled and waved. The man's head did not move. Well, if you live in what appears to be a perfectly ordinary apartment, with the single exception that it is not walled in, you probably learn to disregard the people walking about. Whatever he was watching, it held him spellbound. She couldn't see the screen from where she stood. She noticed music now piped through reasonably good loudspeakers set at regular intervals into the ceiling. Fauré's Requiem. Well, that was not creepy at all. Brilliant piece from an atheist composer whom God had mischievously spurred to greatness behind his back, but during a job? Amusing coincidence in any case, this was on the list she'd given Flea a few weeks ago. He was getting interested in music and she'd wanted to get to him before Cicada did, much as she felt a bit guilty about it. Most people could go from classical to rhythm and blues, but in her experience, the reverse was a more arduous journey. She walked over to the ledge and peered over the leafy waves. She could only see as far down as two or three floors, a very thick, uniform, yellowish-gray mist surrounded the building, 
and it swallowed the vanishing lines of the stone walls like distance fog in a video game. Large midges buzzed out of the haze and swirled about her head. She straightened, unsettled, waving the insects away. Her left foot ached. The smell of marzipan, strong but evanescent, restored something of her sense of normality, and she turned to greet Flea. I set up the containment, she said. Let's find the discrepancy quickly. There's something decidedly unfriendly about this place. The man watching TV turned the volume up, but she still couldn't place the language. She suddenly realized that Flea was ignoring her. He was looking around, and he seemed a bit annoyed. He was searching for something. He didn't even bother to make eye contact, which was not like him. He was a hunter. Hunters always make eye contact. She observed him, mildly irritated, but willing to cut him some considerable slack. She liked Flea. He hadn't been an op for long, and his journey to the position had been more complicated than most. He sniffed and ran his tongue over his lips, as though tasting something. His pink nostrils quivered, the flesh raw and shiny. The new nose was not quite finished. He could breathe through it, he had told her, but a functioning sense of smell was still some time away, and Medical had wanted it to be clear that it might never come back at all. Still, the appendage was an improvement over the suppurating horror that had eaten up half his face back when she'd rescued him from the nightmarish division where he'd lived most of his life, under the boot of a lunatic discrepancy named Drop. That curtailed existence also explained why he was such a blank slate when it came to books, movies, music, and such like. He turned to her, and his gaze narrowed on her. Where have you been? he asked. As far as she could tell, he was genuinely puzzled. She still struggled to understand why he spoke so fast now, when back in Drop's hell, his delivery had been perfectly normal. Her theory was that he was trying to pack three times the amount of living into a given day now, to make up for lost time. Why didn't you follow me? You just got here. Yes, I was. I was calling you. What a strange thing to say. Passing lightly over the fact that it was manifestly false, it simply did not appear to follow. You just got here, she repeated. He gave her a half-smile. Is this a joke about the new nose? She was bewildered by now. Are you all right? I never said a thing about your nose. It suits you, by the way. He shrugged. Well, you're here now. The brief says we need to get to the basement. Come on. Without waiting for an answer, he walked past her and turned the corner. That was most unlike him. Still, better follow him and keep her eyes open. The man watching television in the corridor had fallen asleep. It was three steps to the corner, but when she reached it herself, she was alone again. Flea was nowhere to be seen. She grunted in irritation. She was not going to jump to conclusions, for all she knew he was in a dungeon somewhere, abducted by a discrepancy with the power of teleportation. 
but she certainly felt like speaking to him a bit sharply when they met again. He walked around the corner behind her. Don't play around, Moth, he said. This is not where we were supposed to meet. She stared at him with some suspicion. Flee, whatever is going on, I think we should stay together. His brow furrowed. What are you talking about? I was standing there waiting for you. I promise you, you were not. I was. His tone brooked no dissent. Ten minutes I waited by my reckoning. Ten minutes? She could feel a headache coming on. That's impossible. He threw his arms up and scoffed. That was also somewhat atypical of him. Moth took a step back and groaned as she felt pain shoot up her left leg. Her stump had ground into the recess of her artificial foot. The hair at the back of her neck rose. But she did not understand why. What's wrong with you, Moth? Flea said. We just need to move. He had a point. I agree, she said. But let's not lose sight of one another. They walked side by side. Her stomach growled. Someone was cooking a very creative meal somewhere on this floor. Curry with cookie dough, apparently. The smell was strangely appealing and put her in mind of the bacon ice cream Cicada had made her try in Orlando a few years earlier. Perhaps they could try cookie dough curry when this job was done. Something about the thought of Cicada made her uneasy, and it made her uneasy that it made her uneasy. Still, now she thought about it. Were they dating? Married? Flirting? Or was she still like an idiot, only admiring the younger woman from afar? The containment blur was bad here. A woman wearing a blue shawl and walking a small yapping dog passed them in the corridor. She smiled at Flea, but seemed not to see Moth. The dirty yellow fog outside looked almost solid. Moth tried to direct Flea's attention to it. It was bizarre that the fog did not, in fact, penetrate inside the building at all, but he ignored her. Once, he turned to look at her. His eyes were wide, and a drop of sweat slid down his temple. Then he went on walking, without a word. Moth's lips tightened. Well, it was all pretty weird and no mistake but she couldn't see anything actively dangerous about the place. Flea wasn't growing horns, there were no dragons hiding behind the potted plants, and so far the building itself was not even particularly resonant. She couldn't decide if that was reassuring or slightly more alarming. Whatever discrepancy was at work in this division, in this displacement, why mince words, it was a strong, capable one who could manipulate minds, perceptions, and the physical environment itself to an extent. They stopped in front of the elevator. Flea pushed the down button. As they waited, the woman in the blue shawl came up to them again, from the same direction as though she had walked around the entire floor, which she would have had to do really quite quickly. In any case, this time she had a cat in her arms. As she neared them, 
Moth saw that it was not entirely the same woman. This one was much older. She looked right through Flea and smiled at Moth. While Moth was trying to process this, the elevator door opened with a ding. Flea walked in. The door closed, and he was gone. Moth goggled. She was getting slower with age, she knew that, though she didn't like admitting it. But this was silly. Swearing sotto voce, she angrily pushed the down button again. The loudspeakers in the elevator were not playing Fori's Requiem. No. They were playing Pergolesi's Stabat Mater, which was hardly cheerier. She liked the piece. She adored it, in fact, but just now she would have switched it off with pleasure. Gritting her teeth, she jabbed at the B button. The elevator started with a lurch. It did not reach the basement. It stopped on the fourth floor with a worrisome grinding noise. The lighting inside the cab turned red, like in one of those Star Trek movies Cicada kept pushing on her, and a maintenance message began flashing at the top of the display. Moth wiped the sweat from her brow and took a deep breath. She didn't like sweating outside of the gym. She pulled her sewer out of its holster. The open doors button was still working, at least. Back to Fauré. The fourth floor looked a lot more normal than wherever she'd started from. It was deserted, but it was not open to the elements. At this point, she would take anything that was not out of a Lynchian nightmare. She giggled. Cicada would have been proud of her use of that reference. The elevator door opened again. Moth whirled round with a yip, searer at the ready. Flea walked out. Where have you been? She asked, working hard not to sound too angry. It's twice you've disappeared now. He nodded. Yeah, I think you're right, he said. Finally, something sensible out of him. We'll have to take the stairs. I don't want to risk the elevator again. He looked past her with a pensive stare. He bit his upper lip. You think the time sequencing's gone weird? He asked. The what? She cocked her head. She had to admit. Hmm. That's an idea. Do you think we'll get to the basement? I'm trying to, for heaven's sake. She barked, then blushed. Sorry. Think of Cicada. We need to snap out of whatever this is. The outburst did not seem to phase Flea. He hardly seemed to notice. The brief is totally hopeless, he said. Right. Were they really talking? Whatever this was, it was not a conversation. She took one step toward him and raised her hand, holding up four fingers. Flee, she said. 
How many fingers am I holding? Okay, he said. I'll follow you this time. And he began to walk away from her. She did try to follow him, but she felt as though she was suddenly wading through freshly poured concrete. She screamed at him. She seared the wall next to him. He reached the door to the stairwell and walked through. The door slammed shut, and she found she could run. She was not expecting to find Flea on the other side. She was, however, expecting to see stairs going up and down. The stairs went sideways. Up was to the left, and down to the right. A wave of nausea hit her. She was instantly drenched in sweat. It was as though she'd been tossed off a cliff. There was an artist who drew illustrations like that. Cicada was a fan. Moth retched, the sound loud and raw, bouncing about the resonant shaft of the stairwell. Her wife had also shown her a movie, starring some rock star or other, a movie with puppets of all things, which had a scene set in a place just like this. Inspired by that very artist, apparently. Her wife. Had Cicada finally said yes? God, she hoped so. Damn that containment blur. Moth closed her eyes so tightly she saw patterns of color swirled behind her retinas. Keeping her eyes shut, she sat down, gingerly, holding her knees to her chin, feeling the top of the prosthesis under her fingers. She slowed her breathing. She counted her breaths. Cicada. Think of Cicada. The vertigo receded. She let herself lean back. When she finally opened her eyes, a week later by her reckoning, she was sitting on the concrete floor of the landing, and the stairs looked as though they went up and down. Of course, the door she'd just stepped through was now set into the ceiling, but let that go. Down, down, she walked and walked. It was considerably more than four floors, there was no doubt in her mind, but Flea eventually caught up to her, as she suspected he would. She wanted to touch him very badly, but couldn't bring herself to do it. She had ridiculous visions of the universe imploding if she were to take his hand. There's something very wrong with this place, she said, peering down into the gloom, unsure that what he was hearing was what she was saying. I don't know, he said. Well, I do, she shrugged, not quite caring that he was probably reacting to something else entirely. I keep feeling like I'm yanked back and forth. Through time, I think. Four, said Flea suddenly. Moth whipped round on him. For what? she asked, holding her breath. Fingers? Fingers, he repeated, his voice decisive. Four fingers. She shouldn't be indignant, she knew that, but she couldn't help herself. It was so perverse. Now you're telling me? she cried. Why now? I don't know. 
She held up two fingers in front of his new, almost finished nose. How many fingers now, Flea? She asked savagely. Huh? He didn't answer, but then she hadn't thought he would. They walked down another seven or eight floors. Possibly more. At some point, Flea pulled ahead, and try as she might, she couldn't keep up. She went on her methodical way. He'd show up behind her eventually. As she walked, a smell came to her. Faint at first, then unmistakable. She could not have said exactly when she first noticed it. Moisture. Water. Stagnant water. A pool of some kind. Not very well maintained, apparently. There was something else as well. The place was becoming resonant. And now she was at the very bottom of the stairs, and the corridor stretched out before her. The walls glimmered blue and white. At the far end of a ludicrously long hall, she was sure she would find a pool. Weird place for it, and no mistake, but this building was not exactly up to code. She braced against the strong resonance. The discrepancy was close. She took up her searer with both hands. She waited. Steps behind her. She didn't have to turn around to know that Flea had arrived. How do we get out of this? She said without looking at him. Don't be silly, he said. She rolled her eyes. I'm not being silly. Two fingers, he said. Yes, she smiled. Yes. He sniffed. Whoa, he said, his tone registering distaste. We must be getting close to the basement. It smells rank in here. She whirled on him and seared his head off. It took her a while to get her heart rate back to an acceptable level. It was a pool. The walk down the long, fetid corridor was hazy in her mind, clouded by the thickening resonance, but the pool was there, it was real, and it was large. The room was only dimly lit, but every ten seconds or so, the lamps flickered brighter. She stood with her toes to the tiled edge and stared into the water. She could not see the bottom. The water went on and on, deeper and deeper, light blue streaked with dancing white, to turquoise, to azure, to sapphire, to cobalt, to midnight, to black. Hmm, that was interesting. She could see waves in the water under the water, undulations, ripples and swells, as though an object or a large fish or something was gliding around, rising, sinking, then rising again, coming ever closer. But there was nothing there. Pointing her searer vaguely downward, she knelt down and bent over the edge of the pool. She could hear Cicada tut at her in her mind. Have our movie nights taught you nothing? Were those bubbles now? 
her finger tensed on the trigger of her weapon. A voice burst through the veil of the surface. A voice she recognized, fluting, unctuous, a presage of death. Who am I? Moth strained to stand up, to shoot, but she couldn't. She felt numb, nerveless. And now it was too late. A hand shot out of the water, grabbed her hair, and yanked her into the pool. In a blink, she was so deep under that she didn't even breach the surface as she thrashed. She lost her seer. She was blind for all that she knew what was happening to her. Water flowed inside her mouth and nose. She gagged as she tried to breathe. She knew she should be holding her breath, but none of her reflexes were the right ones. Someone was holding her tight. She felt a body against hers, knew it was a woman, felt breasts flat against her own, felt a mouth on her own, a tongue on her lips, but she saw nothing but bubbles and flashes. She heard a laugh, dignified and cruel. Swim up, Cicada said in her head. Just swim up. Use your arms and legs. Use your strength. Swim up. She tried. Oh, she tried. When, after a lifetime of struggle, her hand finally breached the surface, it came out of the water. But it was still in water. And she knew that even if she managed to escape the pool, she would still drown inside the liquid body of that discrepancy. But she couldn't give up. Her body refused to give up. Cicada would not let her give up. She gave one last tremendous push toward the surface. Toward light and toward life. And sat up, screaming in the dreamer pod. It's okay, cried Flea. He looked rattled. He looked embarrassed. He was pushing buttons and moving sliders and watching little red lines on multiple screens. It's okay, Moth. You're okay. He flipped one last switch and a certain vibration died down in the room. Then he rushed to her. Moth spat the life tube out and retched. She breathed raggedly. The dreamer fluid, the dreamer water, came up to her chin. Get me a towel, she whispered. Help me out. She gripped the sides of the pod and stood up on her left leg, her biceps bulging, the veins on the back of her hands pulsing. As the liquid ran down her body, her swimsuit immediately felt clammy against her skin. It was unpleasant. She needed help to get out of the pod, of course. Negotiating the ladder was tricky without her foot. Holding on to him, she hopped to the bench, where she sat and began to towel herself off. He tried to make up for it. Within a minute, he even had coffee ready for her. Fake black, as she liked it. I'm sorry, Moth, he said. That was a mess, she nodded. Nothing made sense in there. It was a nightmare. 
Well, it's kind of a nightmare machine, isn't it? He said, trying not to sound petulant. There's a reason we call it the dreamer. Even when it works, it doesn't really work. It's the best training tool we have, but dreams aren't... Well, they aren't life. It's kind of broken at its core. I'm trying to repair it. Make it work. She took a sip of coffee. Four sugars, at least. (laughs) He was overcompensating. Well, you're not there yet, she said. Yes, I saw that pretty much right away. But yanking someone out of a session, he said. It's more dangerous than letting the subject reach the end on their own, even when it's completely screwed up. He shrugged and flipped a paper pad open. He was noting things down the old-fashioned way for some reason. What tipped you off? Nothing tipped me off. Nothing made sense, but I assumed it was all real. We were both completely out of sequence. My missing foot was the wrong one. The architecture was insane. The fog was artificial. I wasn't sure if I was married. You need to know that I really didn't like that, Flea. But I believed it. I assumed it was the discrepancy's fault. In spite of herself, her residual anxiety was manifesting itself as irritation. Oh, Lord, the discrepancy. Drop? That was your big bad? Drop? Really, Flea? He shrugged again, sheepishly. Write what you know, he said. Why did you finally sear me? She pointed at his finished, normal-looking nose. We were all a bit younger in there. I think that's why I didn't know if I was married or not. You complained about the smell. He snorted through that nose and made a note. (laughs) Whoa, that wasn't even in the program. Some algorithm or other got too creative for its own good. Even the music was the stuff I've been recommending to you, she grumbled. He nodded. He knew. She finished drying her stump and pushed it into a prosthesis. He ignored her for a minute or two as he checked and rechecked dials and switchboards and printouts and things, and she drank in silence. Do you still need me? she asked at length and shivered. I have to shower. It's all right, you're free to go, he said, absorbed. He didn't even look up from his slide rule. I'll tidy up here. She smiled indulgently. Just as she was about to walk into the changing rooms, Flea realized he was being a bit rude, and added, Thanks for this, Moth. I didn't mean to sound ungrateful. I owe you. A lot. She waved a dismissive hand. Happy to help. I'm sorry this was a bust. It wasn't my intention to freak you out. But I got good data out of it. He gave her a tentative grin. Next time we'll be the right one. I'm going to make it work, you know. Work better, I mean. I'm going to make a lot of things work better around here. Well, if your scores on the standards ladder are anything to go by, I think you'll be an asset to the net, whatever you do. Now, your technical skills are astounding, Flea. No one disputes that. Collection knows it too, never fear. And broadening your horizons is marvelous. But you're a knob now. A good op. Don't forget that, all right? Yeah, sure. He nodded, then hesitated. Thing is, Moth, I like being in theater, I really do. And every day I thank fate that you extracted me from from where I was born. But I'm not sure that the theater is where I can do the most good. 
He lowered his eyes. I have ideas. She laughed. I don't doubt it. I'll be following your future career with interest. She was nearly out of the room, hobbling on her unsecured prosthetic foot, looking forward to dinner with her wife, when a thought struck her. She turned back and gazed at her colleague. Flea, this dreamer test, today, does Collection know about it? Suddenly, he was a deer in headlights. Never mind, she said. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this seventh episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, tell people about it. Every little bit helps. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. This one was really complicated to structure. And honestly, I didn't quite manage what I had in mind. The story turned out much looser than what I was hoping for. Still, I wanted to spend a little time with the new flea. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection. love YA Lit? Looking for a community of readers who love it as much as you do? Want to find more rad, diverse books? Check out Yeah! Podcast, a show about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. Every episode, we discover new books, revisit old classics, hold exclusive interviews with amazing authors, and talk a lot, a lot, about Twilight. This is our book club, and you're invited. Find us, and many other shows, in the pod cavern.